Welcome back to the Last Prepper Standing Podcast. This is going to be the first episode of 2024, and I got the emergency expert with me, and we're talking a little bit about 2024 predictions and what's going on. But prior to the show, we brought up something that I wanted to dig into and kick the show off with, and why don't you recap what you were just saying? Yeah, I was just saying that like we've both been in this game for a very long time. And and by the way, thank you for having me on as the first guest. Feel very honored to do so. Um, but like I've been I've been in this game for for over 20 years, right? Since I was a teenager. And the thing that I've noticed, especially in the past couple years, it's not about stuff so much anymore. Like the conversation is now shifting to where do I find people that actually care? Where do I find community that actually cares? Like, where are these people hiding? And like, what people don't realize is that they're not hiding. They're everywhere. They're all around you. But everyone's kind of like keeping to themselves because we're afraid of being ousted or we're afraid of people going, oh, you're one of those people rather than being like, hey, let me show you the light. Let me show you why this is important. You know, as they say, it's like, the lambs are not important anymore. It's time to wake up the lions. And you got to look around to find them. Now, I, I like that. Now, what what I really kind of sparked me as soon as you said that, the shift. Because I noticed it, too. And I'm so happy you said that because I didn't put my finger on it until literally right now when you said that. And that's why I wanted to start the show off with it. And that's one thing I like about this show, too, is because we never know where it's going to go. And I definitely appreciate you come, being on as the first guest because I got an overwhelming response about how good our last episode was. And then I kind of fumbled the ball and didn't have you back on or, or piggyback on that a little bit more. But the the thing that kind of really lit it off for me is it is shifting from gear to like, well, who do I meet? What do I going on? And I think a lot of that has to do with 2020. People realize, man, my bug out gear is really kind of useless. I spent years, maybe even mm-hmm. decades of prepping to get all this bug out gear. And I just stayed in my house. Yep. And I, and I didn't go anywhere or do anything. And then you add on top of the, the recent isolation we've all been kind of forced to think about and do. I think it has people really apprehensive to network with other people, too. Or they've kind of been in an isolation, lone wolf type of mindset because of the events of 2020 versus wanting to get out and expand. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like that's, that's part of what's going on. No, I think you nailed it, man. I think the the big thing that, you know, that has happened, um, and and I don't know how crazy down the rabbit hole you want to go today, but like, you know, we could, we could, we'll, we'll throw out words eventually, you know, like PSYOP and propaganda, but you know, when you make something like the word prepping or preparedness a dirty word, at least in terms of like how the general public views it, all of a sudden no one wants to be associated with that word. But the fact is, if you were wind the clock a hundred years, you were the weirdo for not being prepared. And, exactly. And-, and we and we can go down as all the rabbit holes we want, but for the propaganda and the psyops, um, one of the issues I was running into with what we're currently doing with the Preppers Club, it was before that we I was calling it um it had a more patriotic theme. And I got a lot of people who gave me some pushback about it because they were nervous about what was going on with the January sixth prosecutions mm-hmm. and them not wanting to be tied to that type of name. So, so you even see that the, the psyoping of enjoying our freedoms is going on because you're nervous. So you add in being pro-America, pro-preparedness, 
now you're just feeling really out in the wind between looking like a white supremacist or a, a nationalist extremist and some coop for prepping. So there's a lot going on to, to put people off from dealing with each other. Yeah. And, and like, it's, it's really frustrating. Um, and like, for example, with me, like I, I focus at least on my main IG page, I predominantly focus on just the, the simple steps to get people started. Cause I feel like that's the way, you know, that not, you know, that's the way to get people into it. Because when you talk about stuff that we know is coming every single year, like natural disasters, and then we start seeing these events that are becoming more and more prevalent from, from now back to, you know, 2020, whether we're talking about social unrest, rioting, um, various culture wars and proxy wars around the country due to, you know, religious cultures, uh, nationalists, you know, feelings, all that stuff like that. Like people, people are starting to notice these things. There's no way to ignore them because they're everywhere because it's being used perpetually to keep us in a state of fear. And like, that's the thing that I try to emphasize so much is that like, we pay for car insurance, we pay for home insurance, we pay for medical insurance, we pay for all, we, we, we're handing out money every single month, tons of it. Oh, but like people don't want to basically build their own insurance program that's accessible to them right there in their home or wherever they're putting it. It's like if they realize like insurance isn't going to be there with a hot meal when your when your house you know gets hit by a tree. Like that's on you until they finally decide to pay you out. And you could talk to anybody who's in Florida, who's been in Louisiana, who's, I mean, look, Texas with some of these weird weather events that's happened in Texas. It's taken people months to get their payouts. Meanwhile, they're struggling. And it's like, that's to me, the essence of preparedness is like, I don't need to worry about someone else's handout. I can take care of my family at least for an extended period of time while I come up with a different plan, depending on the situation. Exactly. And then you mentioned the um, taking forever to get the payouts from the insurance companies. One thing I've noticed is it taking forever to find people to do the work because of the backlog when there's a major event. I had friends who were, you know, they, like you mentioned, a tree go through their house. It was, I think they were pushed out like about three and a half weeks until the actual crew could get to them because I'm in a little bit smaller area in East Texas, but there's only so many people who do tree removal services in this area. And when you have a slew of people hit all at the same time, there's just not enough labor manpower or hours in the day to get to it all at once. And you're really just going to be left there holding the bag. Well, and I think there's a, there's a really interesting point to be made there, both on opportunities for people who are listening and then also in reality as to what's happened to the blue collared worker because of this whole mind state shift of like, oh, you need to go to college, you need to get a degree, and then you need to go into something like finance or the medical field or STEM or something like that. And, you know, I heard uh, it's funny because, you know, a lot of the guys that I talk to have the same background as me. They, they spend a lot of time in the military. A lot of them are blue collar workers. And, and they were doing like the whole hot takes. What's your hot take? And someone posted one up that said, blue collar workers will be the neighborhood warlords because they can actually do stuff. And I was like, whew, that's, there's some truth in that. And if you don't know how to fix things, if you don't have some basic skills, if stuff goes down, you are still at the whim of other people. Like, I don't know how to remove a tree from my house, but I know how to section off my house and put up the proper barrier so additional damage doesn't get done while I wait for someone to help me remove the tree properly. 
And that's the difference. You know what I mean? That is a, that is a big difference. And then practically doing the work, and I'll use myself as an example in, in kind of what we're talking about, tree removal. You know, what you think you could do and what you actually can do are two different things. I'm on, I'm on like a year plus of trying to remove these way – like I had the tree cut down. I thought I was going to process the wood on my own. And it was a way bigger daunting task, and I don't have the correct tools that I thought I had. I'm like, okay, well, this chainsaw will work. Well, not for this task, it won't. And yep. I've, been, I've been constantly behind the eight ball on that. So that's why getting out and practicing those skills, like you, you talk about go train all the time. All and the that's time. not just for the gym, but that could be for anything, just from it, your ba basic maintenance around the house to, to taking care of anything that you would have to rely on other people for. Exactly. I, I mean, for me, it's easy to just post a gym pick and put go train on it. But like, just like, I'm always working on skill sets. Like I'm always trying to constantly, when I have downtime, just work on stuff that that's going to make me a better person in terms of how I engage. My big push lately has been soft skills, like getting back to understanding human, human communication, how to connect with people. Cause for me, like those skills for building community are the most important thing. I know you're in sales and like I was in sales for years and like I would be in my car listening to these guys that like no one really talks about anymore. They just, they just take their stuff and they remake it. But like your Zig Ziglar's, you know, your Dennis Wheatley's, your Jim Rohn's, um, you, you know, going back even further, your Earl Nightingale's and, and all these people who teach people like, like there's more to simply, communicating people like everything's a sale but like it's all about human connection no one's going to want to work with you is if if you're the only person in the room who gets the shout orders and if you're not bringing anything to the table of value that they can see or or know tangibly that you possess that thing and that's where a lot of people miss the force of the woods they, they want guys who are exactly like them but it's like you need a wide variety of people to make stuff work and that's been proven throughout history. D dare I say diversity is our strength? It is. That's what makes America <laughs> great, right? right? Like my mom's an immigrant, you know, and 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 my dad grew up dirt poor in the Midwest. And so when I when I look at like the things, the the value systems that were instilled in me, because they both worked two jobs when I was growing up, and and I would go into offices at night with them in their second job. And I would help them empty trash bins and vacuum and pick up stuff every single night, four years old, five years old, you know, and, and people don't realize that like the back of America, the backbone of America was literally built on immigrants, whether we're talking, you know, whatever, whatever level of history you want to talk, you know, we can, we can go into it, but like, that's where America was really built. And it started with white immigrants who no longer wanted to serve under a king. And then everyone else kind of followed along because they saw the opportunity that's here. And I, and I totally agree with you on that. And, and that's one of the things that I really believe that they're trying to destroy is the pride in that. And they're yeah. trying to make it seem like a dirty thing or a bad thing or get people to balkanize around the I'm an immigrant. I did this. I did that. Versus like, hey, look what we did together. The, and, and that, that's. It's, and, and the thing that bothers me the most is the argument of like the, the people flooding across the border. It's the same thing. No, it's not. It's not the same thing because they're my, like a perfect example, whether it's my mom or whether we're talking about like skilled workers coming from other countries, like my mom paid to come here and she is from a, a, a island no one even really knows about in the Micronesia is called Palau. 
And like she eventually, even though she was already married to my dad, she she went and got her citizenship and paid to do that. And so like for me, like to see people who are bypassing the line when I have friends who spent years trying to become American citizens and you see these military age males lined up, just flooding in, they're getting handed cell phones and visa, you know, visa gift cards with, with thousands of dollars on it and been like, and, a, and plane tickets mm. to New York or Seattle. It frustrates the hell out of me because people are like, well, they, they need a chance too. I'm like, dude, like you're right, but there's ways to do it. And right. Like, and this, I, this and I agree way. with you on that, too, because my, my grandfather came here from Mexico and he went into the military to get his citizenship. So there there's there needs to be pathways and there needs to be ways for people to actually earn it, because he was really big on people assimilating and embracing this, not just coming here and forcing everybody else around them to move, move to where they are versus meeting, meeting us in the country where we are, you know. And, and, and we need to screen people who are here and want to be here for America. And that's a huge part of it is that like, you know, we've we, just this year alone, we've caught over, I think it was over 200 or no, it was uh, over 100 people on the terrorist watch list trying to come across the border. And they think that, you know, the estimate they give is always like, well, we think that's between 25 and 50 percent that actually made it across. I can tell you from no, having people and working in Mexico and having people who work on the border that it's a much higher number and so like this just letting people in that's not that's not how we should be doing things like i think people sh if they want to come here and they want to be productive and members of society let them come but when i see nothing but military aged males and i know these other countries because venezuela did it and, and sudan did it and somalia did it they're sending us their criminals they're sending us the people they don't want because they've disrupted their country. And they're, you know, it's it to me, it all falls into this this game plan that I personally believe is gonna open up here, like really open up here in 2024. And, and that's part of what that's a lot of what this show is supposed to be about, too, is our predictions for 2024 and what we're gonna be see coming down the road and and how people can prepare for it. So this is a great point to get into because I believe also that this is gonna be one of the most pressing issues going forward, which is really gonna probably lead to like an October surprise to usher in the regime 3.0 because really it's just the, the it'll be the fourth or fifth Biden administration or uh, Obama administration. Correct. Yep. And and a, a term that and I know that like uh, that you know I don't know what 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 your listenership slash readership like how how broad their knowledge is but a term that everyone should get familiar with right off the bat before we jump into these predictions because it plays into this is fifth generational warfare often term 5GW, right? And what what let me define that for people so that they have an idea of what that means so that when we step off into making these predictions, it aligns with kind of like what we're saying. And five generational warfare is is conducted primarily primarily through non-kinetic military action. So it's using social engineering, it's using misinformation, it's using cyber attacks, along with things like artificial intelligence and and you know some of these autonomous systems that are out there and so it's a war of information and perception aka psychological operations and propaganda if we're going to give it the real terms and then we also have what we were what in fifth generational warfare we have non-state actors conducting proxy battles in order to to you to 
engage this war of information perception and make people either be fearful or to get them to do something illicit action on their end in order to get the change that the, the powers that be want and that and that was touched on in that new netflix movie exactly um, that, that pretty much everyone watched so that's a, a very technical breakdown but for people to kind of see it in a in a practical sense or not a practical sense but in a fantasy reality sense that movie did a great job encapsulating what possibly could be going on and is going on correct and and, and another term that people should get very familiar with in terms of that movie and some of these other movies that have come out the past couple of years is predictive programming, which is the release of, of entertainment media information that is then projecting an idea into society so that they have that idea planted so that when it starts to happen, they don't recognize it for what it is. And they're very comfortable with it because they've already been allowed to think about the idea. And it seems kind of counterintuitive because you're like, oh, well, if this happened, you know, this, this and this. But like th this is something that's been studied for years. And this is something that's been used not just in, in this country, but in all these other countries that we talk about, whether it's China, Russia, whatever. It's be it's being used all the time. It's, it's a form of propaganda. Um, and so people need to understand that when when you see a former president being the main producer on a Netflix special, that should raise your awareness and make you go, huh, why? Right. And, and two, you know, I get a, I get a little, when we talk about those movies and stuff, one thing that blows my mind is the proliferation from people who we think are on our side. Yes. Like I'll see a lot of people who we believe are on our side. I never come in contact with like the transgender stuff or all that issue that leads to divide us being promoted as being a good thing from the left, which they say it is right. I never come in contact with that. I only see it being portrayed as a negative thing from the right. And then I would have never known about that Netflix thing because of any of their own advertising, but the way that we advertised it out. So a lot of times we're doing the work for them and amplifying out their message and we don't even realize it. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And, you know, the, the, the problem with the right in terms, and I, I use that term loosely. I don't, I'm personally not affiliated in terms of like these political parties, because frankly, I don't believe anyone in these political parties really represent me anymore. I, I feel like it, it's kind of a sideshow to make us feel as if like there is still some sort of system out there that helps us. But, you know, to me, like, when I, when I see the, the more conservative America engaging with this stuff, like they still haven't under, they still don't understand the game. They still haven't, they, they need to educate themselves on Marxist propaganda. They need to educate themselves on statism and, and how, how these systems work. And they need to get familiar with, you know, guys like Yuri Beg Begmanov, who did an interview back in 76 as a Russian defector the guy literally lays out the game plan. Everything we've seen since the 1980s up until now, he talks about directly, and he talks about how the Soviet Union used these techniques and how you know U.S. or uh, uh, you know the People's People's Liberation Army, whatever, they all use these same techniques, and we have done so and indoctrinated our children. This goes back to you know the early 19th century. 
You know, this goes back to your Carnegie's and your Rockefeller's and people just don't know their history anymore. And so they're, they're going, what's happening? What we don't understand. It's like, yeah, you don't understand because you haven't been seeing the playbooks. You've been too focused on Netflix or IG or whatever and, and not educating yourself and realizing this is all this is all a big plan that's been going on for a very long time. And, and the thing is, too, it's a big plan out in the open. Yes. It, it's, it's right there. About it. <laughs> yeah, it's right there for everybody to see, which yes. is, you know, I kind of had an epiphany moment um, the other night. Wa- I watched a football game with some friends. We're hanging out. And then, you know, in a football game, they have a press conference afterwards, right? And, and they're talking about the game that you just watched. Yep. And it kind of dawned on me. It's like, man, these guys, the whole game's what, two hours? The press conference is another hour, hour and a half sometimes. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, we just watched this game. Now we're watching this hour and a half press conference about what we just saw, right? Because it's entertaining and they can soak in this information that seems vital and important to them because of the action involved around it. But it really has no impact on their life. The event's already over. But you try to watch a World Economic Forum uh, seminar or speech or panel discussion that's actually predicting, not, not predicting, but telling you what's going to happen in your future, you can't sit there and, and take it in. You can, yep. it's, it's purposely made boring. It's purposely made unentertaining. But it's probably the most important thing you could sit there and watch for an hour and a half. Correct. And it's funny. Because, because it's for events that are going to happen, not events that already happen. Well, that, and this is our this is predictive programming at, at, in, in its best, right? Like they have not been quiet about this. It used to be it used to be like the the, the 2023 plan, right? Well, that didn't work out for them. So now it's the 2030 plan. But if you actually go into these plans, it's there in plain English. The thing that like people need to realize is that every profession or or job or title has its own language. And like, you know, this as, as a salesperson, I know this when I was in sales, you have to learn how to talk to the customer in their language. And every single one of those, like, you know, if, if you're talking to an accountant, they're going to speak about money a different way than if you're talking to a salesperson. And so th- how they talk is extremely important because it reveals to you exactly kind of like how they cover up their dirt in the sense of the, the language that they use. And so I know dudes that like they'll go through and, and they rewrite essentially what they're saying so that people can understand it. But it's all there. There's, there's there's nothing quiet about it. And that's that's the thing that's frustrating more than anything is when I see these big events going on on the TV, I immediately go, okay, what's going on in the Senate? I immediately go, what's going on behind the scenes? Because these proxy wars, like I was talking about earlier, where we're talking, whether we're talking Antifa or we're going to see more with like, you know, some of these conflicts, like what's going on in Gaza or with immigration and illegal immigrants. Those are ways to distract the public while stuff is going on in these these with these big names, right? Exactly. And, yeah, and so it's it's guys like us, you know, we're we're kind of like watchmen. We are we we are watchmen. We're not kind of like watchmen. We are watchmen, and there's always this fine level of balancing. Like, how far do I push this, and how do I talk about this? without turning people off from it or without people feeling hopeless. Because the last thing I want people to feel is like there's no point to this stuff because they're overwhelmed by what's going on in the world. 
Right. And that's kind of putting this all together because we're talking about the migration and the terms and everything that they use and talking about kind of the country. One of the things I think is really happening PSYOP wise is that the devaluing of our citizenship, which will which will like, you know, California. One of the headlines I saw today is that California is going to be the first state to offer offer health insurance to undocumented immigrants, which is just. I think they have to, there's some, something I was watching too, saying you're going to see a lot of stuff in the media calling them immigrants because of UN treaties that they have to treat them a certain way if they consider them immigrants. Like you try to see the refugees and this and that, there's different stuff for that, but they're, they're just devaluing our citizenship and they're doing it in a language, like a legalese language to kind of just usher in slowly this global citizenship for everybody. And then we're left holding the bag paying for the world. I mean, you know, I, I'm a big fan in in the the quote that's it's history. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, right? Mm-hmm. And like we, if you can go into almost any one of these great nations that that existed, you know, whether it was the Romans, Persians, Chinese, British, whatever. Like we can go down the line of human history, but there's a common theme that happens in all these nations prior to the fall of said nation and we're seeing that right now like if we just take rome for example prior to the barbarian horde coming in and sacking rome it was already starting to fail and what we saw in the capital city is the same thing we're seeing now we're seeing just blatant blatant like you know open sexuality in terms of like there's no decency we saw there was pedophilia that was rampant right like there was androgyny was rampant this Mm -hmm. melding of genders and then the corruption and the way that they handled people in terms of like getting them not to revolt against these senators was they had you know gladiatorial games every time people started getting feisty they're like ah let's uh Let's throw some Christians in with some some lions. We'll get some gladiators down here. We'll give them some free bread, and then everyone goes goes home happy for a month. You know, what I mean, right. they're talk, talking about what just happened at, in the Colosseum, and that's right. exactly what's happening now. We're being and distracted. Then- and then onto that point, the bread and circuses, because we talked a little bit about the circuses, but I think a lot of people don't focus on the bread part. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's one of my biggest my biggest predictions for for 2024. And it's something one of my bigger podcasts I talked about was the the crisis that no one ever talks about, but is the direct takeover and destruction of our food supply chain from banning banning uh, meat. Uh, banning the uh, nitrogen and the different, I think it's phosphorus stuff mm-hmm. for the food production growth. I mean, they're, they're controlling the bread and giving us the circus and nobody sees that. So I'm, I think one of my, my biggest predictions is the, the continual control of the food system with the hyping up that we're doing it for the earth out of fear of this bigger ex- exponential crisis with climate. And then with these people in charge of the, um, the levers and the in the systems of government making these natural disasters even worse than they ever needed to be to promote their climate change agenda like the the power outage or when the snowstorm came in Houston it probably wouldn't have been that bad if they just kept the damn power on but because of rules and regulations they were literally shutting it off yep so that 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 to me is my biggest prediction is you're going to see these weather events 
look and sound way worse than they actually are because of the government's failed responses to it. And they're going to continue to take over our food supply while providing these bread and circuses and and devaluing our citizenship. I mean, brother, they've already taken over our food supply. Like, let's be yeah. honest here. Like, and, 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 and once again, this all goes back to, you know, how we were taught these titans of industry, um, whether we're talking about the railroad titans, steel titans, whatever, oil titans. Um, but like, you go back to Carnegie and Rockefeller and some of these other guys from, from that era, and this has all been something that has been slowly being worked out since that time period because they recognize how effective it was. Like bread and grain, isn't, it's not good for the human system. Like people, people don't realize that like if you were making it yourself, great, that's awesome, right? Like, like there's definitely still nutritional value and stuff. But by the time that loaf of bread gets made and sent to a truck that then takes it to the store and then sits on the shelf, it's designed to sit on that shelf for, you know, a month without going bad in most cases, unless they're baking it fresh. And then even when they're baking it fresh, unless you're getting something that's organic, non-GMO, whatever, you turn that bread over, there's still a ton of preservatives in there, even though they're making it in the back. Some, you know, some, some giant Arachne employees back there, you know, basically following a basic recipe. They don't know what they're doing. They're pouring stuff in, mixing it up and throwing it on, a, you know, a pan and put it in the oven. And so that's why, like, my thing is, like, it doesn't matter how much stuff you have going back to the stuff argument. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have if you're not a producer. If you can't, if you don't have control at the end of the day of your, and I'm guilty of this too. So don't, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm calling myself out more than anyone else. But like, if you can't produce your own food, if you don't have the power to bring your own water out of a creek or out of a well on your property, and you don't have a way of creating your own power or heat for handling some of these weather events when it does get cold or too hot or whatever, like you're at the whim of someone else. And, and people need to realize that, that if you don't know what your timeline is, that's, that's a dangerous spot to be in if something does happen. Now you mean your timeline for how long you can make it through an event? Correct. Like most people, um, you and I both know, man, like, and this is why, like, when I talk about this stuff in the classes and stuff that I do, like, I try to take everything down to the simplest unit possible so that people can take that unit and then they can then multiply it for whatever they think they need. But like, if we talk one day, right, what does the human body need in one day to stay alive? We need to stay within a certain range of temperature within our body system, right? So 98.6 degrees is the average. If we fluctuate outside of that three degrees up, three degrees down, we start seeing some serious things happening in our body. And so that's where your shelter and your clothing come in hand in terms of your gear and having a heater, air conditioning. With food, the average human male needs somewhere, you know, there's varying opinions, but somewhere between 2,500 and 2,800 calories Average American consumes 3,400 calories. I could tell you right now, if you try to go, you know, everyone thinks 2,000 calories is like the recommended daily allowance. Um, if you try to go from, from consuming 3,400 calories to 2,000 calories, there is going to be a host of physical and neurological effects that happen to your body if you do not incrementally step that down, where you are going to be under way more stress. You're not going to be thinking as well because your body – then goes into basically like a, a state of distress because it's like, oh, we're not getting nearly as much food as we normally get. And then you talk about water. One gallon is the rule of thumb, right? 
is right. do we need to drink one gallon of water every single day? I think we can safely say by looking at all these people who drink nothing but Diet Coke all day, that <laughs> you can survive with without one gallon every single day. I, I see these people walking around with these giant jugs of water, which is fine. Stay hydrated. Do your thing if you like it. But to me, the one gallon I was always taught is, is that safety net, right? Like you get, you have a little bit extra, a little bit less that you can use for other things too, whether you're rehydrating food because you decide to go the dried food route or, you know, whatever it's, it, you have a little bit of a safety net, you know, in terms of that water after that, everything's a plus, right? And people are like, Oh, but we need this. And I'm like, no, you don't. And I can prove that because I have been around the world. I have, I've walked with Amazonian tribes. I have been at, in some of these other countries with indigenous people and who are still living in indigenous ways using very crude tools. And they are, they're having a good time. Like they're enjoying life with, with basic, you know, knives and spears and blow guns and bows and arrows. They, their, their community is solid because they know exactly what they need to keep it going. They know, they know their timeline and how to survive. And that's, Correct. you know, I did, um, I did a fast, uh, a few weeks back, a three day fast. Nice. Uh, Those are great. And that very, very eye opening too, about like, man, you don't need as much as you think you need, but you're going to want it if you're used to have it. Well, yeah. And that's, that's another thing about the go train side of it, man. Is that like all these guys, I, I know a ton of dudes. I even know dudes who are in the military with me who think that like, they're just going to pick up where they left off when they left service 10 years ago. And it's like, bro, like you're still on pain meds from the VA. And if those get cut off, you're in bed because your back is blown out from injuries. And it's like, right. Try, try to wreck with your 150 pound pack. That's what I'm saying. Like, like some of these guys hit me up to like, check out my new pack. Like my, you know, I'm like, how much does that weigh? Cause they're, you know, it's a 70 liter, 80 liter backpack. He's like, it's going to be a hundred, it's about a hundred pounds. And I'm like, listen, man, as someone who used to carry a hundred plus pounds on my back for a living in the military, like you're, you're going to destroy your body. Like and that's, I, you know, when I do some of my uh, one-on-one kind of coaching and stuff for preparedness and, and survival and everything, one of the first tasks is to go do a 5k with your bag and then see how long that takes you. Yep. But you need to tell me how long you think it's going to take you up front. Yep. And I'm always, I'm always amazed when, they, and almost without fail, I get somewhere around like a seven minute mile average. Right. And we end up an hour, 20 hour 30 plus on a three mile ruck hike. Dude, that most, you, most you people you were prepared for. can't do seven minute miles slick without anything on them. Like that, I, I would, I would, especially if they're over the age of 35, like, you know, the, the, the results are in, but most people can't do a seven minute mile, like two, two miles at seven minute pace to save their life. And it's, it's kind of sad, but like, you're right. Everyone overestimates themselves. It's the same reason thing where I see all these guys who have never hunted in their life who are like, Oh, if, if, if something happens, I'm just going to go off in the woods and get myself a deer. And I'm just like, it doesn't work like that, bro. Like, no, not at all. <laughs> you're going to end up shooting some other dude out there looking for a deer. And then you're going to, you're going to panic. Um, like, and then how are you going to process it? Like, have you ever skinned a deer? Have you ever field dressed the deer? Do you know how to properly quarter it? What's your timeline? If you do this too long, that meat goes bad. What if you cut open an intestine or the stomach or the, or the gallbladder? Like there's all these different things that like people are just like glossing over and like, Oh, I got a book. I'm like, 
<laughs> listen, man, good for <laughs> you, but like, you know, the, the map is not the terrain. Henry Thoreau said it best. The map mm-hmm. is not the terrain. Just because you got a map or a guide does not mean that you're gonna that's gonna get you through to getting to where you need to go on the other side of it. Right, man. That's like I've never heard that quote before. Say say it again. Who was it? Uh, it was either Emerson or Thoreau, and they and it's uh, the map is not the terrain. I and, love that. Yeah, I love it's, that. It's great, Leo. Um, it, it really kind of summarizes a lot of people's mentalities, especially in this in this realm here. And that might be a good a good uh, kind of quote going into the new year too, because a lot of us think we have this mapped out. And how this is going to play out. But, man, there are so many levers they can pull. There's so many things that could happen that, you know, the terrain can change Absolutely. quickly and rapidly. Yep. So other, uh, what are some other terrain changes and predictions you got on your on your mind, the forefront of your mind? So he, here's the big thing that, like, I think that people need to understand is the year's going to – it's an election year, so we can rewind the clock to 2020. Things are going to continue to heat up. We're going to start seeing this, I would say, late spring. Um, I'm going I'm to say we're going to see you know, political action. We're going to see major ca- uh, catalyzing events that are going to try to drive a wedge um, you know, in all the ways that they love to drive the wedge. So we can talk racially. We can talk religiously. We can talk you know, all this, these different gender things that they're pushing. Um, that's going to be a, a huge thing out front. Um, we're going to see stuff with these immigrants. And now that there's enough of them here when they start taking to the streets and and marching for their rights that's going to become a huge political campaign slash slogan in addition to them trying to get them the right to vote because that you're seeing so the and that's happening in counties and municipalities all over the country and i not not day i don't want to exaggerate probably monthly I have to like break that news and prove that information to somebody because they don't believe it. And I'm like, no, very much so. Hey, also, did you know that they're going to be also letting them be police officers and they're changing the way that the gun gun background checks work where you could actually be an illegal immigrant and buy guns here? What a gift to the cartels. I mean, I'll be honest, dude, the cartels, they don't care. They have enough. They have like that doesn't really does it help them? Does it make it easier? Absolutely. But like those guys, like if people actually understood like how much power the cartels have, like they don't. No law is going to stop them. They have right. See that, and I agree with you on that. I just think it makes us. It just streamlines things for them even more. Well, it's going to make it way easier for them to just continue that power grab because they have a huge influence on what's going on with this migration con- uh, happening. And nobody talks about that part of it either. Yeah. And, and that's because no one wants it. I mean, we could have declared the cartels a terrorist organization back in like 2005, 2006, just based off of a few key events alone that happened back then. Right. Um, and, and, you know, there was those Americans, the Mormons who, who got murked down in Sinaloa, you know, yep. there's, there's a ton of instances where if it was ISIS, if it was Al Qaeda, if it was the Taliban, if it was any of these other groups that like they're, they're quick to throw out there, we would have been ready to go to war without it, without a doubt. I mean, we know for a fact that, that the chemical components used to produce fentanyl, um, are, are coming directly from manufacturers in China. And there's been virtually nothing done to shut that down. And so it's, 
it's one of those things. It's like, you know, when, when you know that something like that could happen and the reason it, and, and no one's talking about the reason it hasn't happened, I'll tell everybody the reason why it hasn't happened. There's money. People are making money at every level in, you know, a v- variety of organizations within, you know, various you know, governmental entities. There is people making a lot of money. And so that's why cartels haven't been declared as terrorists because and, they're keeping a lot of people afloat right now, to be honest. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of money in the problem. And that's why everybody, like I hear people say all the time, well, why don't they fix it? Why don't they fix it? There's no money in fixing the problem. No, there's not. There's like, no money in fixing the problem. They're not incentivized to pick the, fix the problem. They're actually de-incentivized to fix the problem. No, no one would choose to put themselves out of business when given the choice. And, and, and like, you have to understand it from like, like I said, everything goes back to these, these very simple systems that have been set up, right? If food makes us unhealthy, which then makes us sick, then we have to pay money to fix ourselves only to get sick again from the same food that made us sick in the first place, right? Money to be made for everybody there, except for the consumer. They just are simply consuming and running through this cycle. So like, is it a coincidence that the pharmaceutical industry is pandering opioids on people left and right? Then those people, when they have an addiction and they're doctors, because now they're very stringent in how much doctors can prescribe and for how long. And, and that's why they have to constantly put out these new products so that they can subs- prescribe you a different thing. So it doesn't look like you're a druggie on pharmaceutical drugs, but it does the same exact thing, or it's even stronger than the previous drug. And then eventually you fall into the trap of, well, now my doctor won't prescribe me anymore. So where do I go? Well, you go to, you the, go street. to the streets. Yep. And then you, you start off until you can afford nothing. And then hopefully you have family members or friends who do an intervention and then they put you in a rehab program to hopefully get you clean. And guess who owns those rehab programs? The pharmaceutical company. Exactly. So we've, they, you know, these, these, these corporatocracies have created these systems that are just a revolving loop. And I know this because I've seen friends of mine and family members of mine who have been stuck in these cycles, right? That's almost like a karmic cycle. If you want to get kind of spiritual with it, where you're going through these struggles and then things happen, and then all of a sudden you get pulled back and you're just back in the cycle. And the key is, you know, like, like we were talking about just before. Until you can become independent enough to control these things on your own, you are going to be a slave to the systems that they've created for you. And the systems aren't changing. No, they're not. Because it only, you know, I mean, look who made the most money. (laughs) How many billions? Like, it's almost insane to me when you look at how much money was lost in the middle class during the last three years, right? Right. It was a, it was a huge uh, consolidation of power. And that that was missed. That was missed on so many people because they were scared inside their houses. And, and and you look at it, the number that is missing from the middle class has gone to that upper 1% is the same number. Mm -hmm. It's the same number. So like it tells you everything you need to know. And it's and and the big thing too, when you break it down, it's all in an effort for, for them to become as self-reliable as possible. And we're not doing that on, on our level. That's what they're doing on their level. So when Schwab from WEF says you will own nothing and be happy, he's absolutely right. 
everything you quote unquote are wearing, doing whatever, that's either going to be given to you as like a rental, like you get this until you die or until you exchange it for your next set of whatevers. And then the reason why he says you're going to be happy is because they're going to dope you up on as much stuff between entertainment, technology that specifically taps into dopamine receptors, along with the pharmaceutical and food that is conditioned to simply serve in providing that dopamine and serotonin effect. Because right, and and your and your high potency marijuana. There's a lot of people dude, who just bro, yeah. Like I grew up in California, and like you know, like when I think back to my time in California when I was a kid growing up in California, like people would smoke a joint and then they'd go and do stuff that's fun, right? Like right, you go and play frisbee, you go to the beach, and you're swimming, you're surfing, like you're you're you know you're going and watching a great movie with friends and going afterwards to get pizza and stuff. I look at these kids now and it's like they're, they're, you know, whether it's, you know, shatter or whatever the other stuff they have going on there, they, they take that stuff and they can't do anything. They're basically useless in terms of the potency that's going into that stuff. And that's all part of the plan. I think that's one of the the key little elements that people gloss over because I'm pro freedom. I don't care. Honestly, it sounds horrible. I don't care which, what type of drug you want to do. I, I think if they made some of those more hardcore drugs, we would weed through some of the people who are draining society a little I, quicker. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds horrible. It's not really Christian. It's not really uh, empathetic to the to humans. But man, I just I also am really pro freedom. So pro freedom that you could destroy your life as quick and as fast as you want to. In my opinion, I mean, here's but, the thing: you and I both know, man. The information on how bad these things are is out there. Like, it's not like anyone is sitting there while someone's up firing up a spoon and a needle and they're like, I wonder if this is bad for me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, come on. Like, like there's enough campaigns out there where, where and you and I probably both grew up during the, the whole dare program. What a waste yep. of government resources that was. And, and like, we're in the classroom and they're like, Oh, this will make you feel like this. And then, so basically you're giving us a guide to like, what drugs we should take as teenagers to make us feel better. Cause that's what I feel like. This is the only, this is the real result of this program at this point. Yeah. It was an indoctrination into drug culture, like something you never <laughs> thought. I, never, I just wanted to go play some, some four square. I wanted to go run around on them. Like, right? Hey, cool. We're going to talk, we're going to talk about drugs today. I'm like, what, what are drugs? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. And so like, it's just, you know, like I said, this this goes back to the evolution of like of of nations and, and societies. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that when you take away the external and physical threats of a cultural or, or a nation, then all of a sudden those those the threats then become societal threats that need to be created in order to kind of keep people in line. And that's what we're seeing here in real time. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like I've been to third world countries and people here are like, oh, America's the worst ever. I'm like, okay, go to Sudan, go to Iran, go to Gaza. You know, you know, like, like there's all these countries out here that, that, you know, everyone, no one wants to talk about, but like, if you're American, you go there, guess what? You're going to be treated way worse there. Like go to Saudi Arabia and, and some of these things that like we're all for here. And I have no problem with, like, like you said, do what you want to do in the comfort of your own home. Like I'm a true libertarian in that front, but the moment your 
drug habit or whatever, your lifestyle starts affecting people that I care about, we're going to have a problem real quick. Yeah, exactly. I, man, and then, too, you say about the about other countries and the way they live. I think the the you'll own nothing and you'll be happy is part of that slippery slope because humans could live in pretty bad conditions. Yes. And, and people are not everybody in America right now, like you said, who doesn't have that experience of being in a foreign country that has some really low standards of living. We've yet to see the bottom yet. You think America's bad now, man, there is so much further we could fall. And there's some places in America and I've seen them myself that are probably just as slummy as any other place in the world and just as dangerous. But imagine that on a mass scale across the country, because I think we're leaning towards that. I think one of the more dangerous things, because we're talking about the predictions with this election there, there was definitely in 2016, the, um, a little bit of the racial undertones going on Mm -hmm. with, with Trump and everything. I don't think it was as heavy as maybe it seemed. It was definitely more kind of a left, right paradigm, but because it was, I think locker up, was a little bit more prevalent than the build the wall, at least yeah. in my opinion. I might be wrong on that, but the lock them up sentiment or lock her up sentiment seemed to be like, you know what, this side's doing this wrong. We're going to do this right. And then they kind of pushed the little racial undertones a little bit on both sides, right? Yep. I think you're seeing the racial undertones ramped up this time around with the religious undertones. And I think that's probably the most dangerous aspect of this current cycle. Because when you start throwing religion in there, I think that's gonna that that'll definitely surpass a lot of people's feelings um, of of race in many ways. Because I think a lot of the pe- a lot of people who are the libertarian conservative mindset, we want to get along with everybody. And I think there's a lot of conservatives who might have a lot more pushback when you start talking about the religious aspect of all this. I think that's a very dangerous path we're going down. Well, and 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 the thing is too, there's been there's a huge a huge. Um, you know, I'm going to use a word that I think fits well, resurrection of young men and young women turning to religion again. And I see it with guys, even guys that like I serve with going, going back to church and realizing, and, and like, I, you know, I think everyone's their spiritual, how they, how they determine their spirituality. Once again, is a personal relationship with them and their God. Right. But it is a hot button and they're going to use it. And to go back to that 2016 election thing, I think personally that they thought, you know, whoever it is, thought that they were going to get more dirt on Trump. I thought they were going to get once they started trying to push these different buttons, these hot topic buttons on him, they were going to get people to come out of the woodworks and hit him with, oh, he did this, he did that, da, 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 and, and it didn't play out that way. And, and I don't think that Hillary was able to adjust because um, I was watch- I was actually watching some of these debates when I was working down in Mexico and, and other places and just seeing like, because really what ca- what it came down to was, was charisma. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like the charisma, like of a guy who has been in the entertainment focal point for decades. Now he understood the game and he was setting up these chess moves with media, he was setting up these chess moves with other, you know, candidates and 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 different people trying to get the presidency, and so like they didn't, they didn't, they never seen anyone really like that who was able to manipulate and, and think three or four steps ahead and set people up. Um, that that, but Trump was able to do that because he had been in media for so long in such a, you know, reality TV show type realm that he was he was outmaneuvering people. 
And now, like, the game's changed. Now they're just, they're just like, we're just not going to give them a chance to talk. We're just not going to have debates. We're just, you know, the last time we saw something like this where we saw presidential candidates being taken off the ballot was Abraham Lincoln. What was going on during that time? Uh, well, it was this. It was the same thing. Like, I mean, he, I'm saying that. I'm saying that facetiously. You know, I know, and, and you know as well as I do where that happened. What happened after that? Like, mm. what happened right after that? It sounds like this. Sounds like history might rhyme. Like you it said sounds, that earlier. Hey, it sounds. It sounds like <laughs> it. It sounds like history might rap. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. so at this point, yeah. So for me, like, man, like. If, if that's if I'm taking history as a as a precursor and looking at the writing on the wall, I don't need someone to finish the story for me to understand where it's headed. You know what I'm saying? Like you and I, we we see enough movies in our time where we could predict the ending before the movie got there. Exactly. And so, like, in my in my like, and I really want people to understand this. I do not want that. I do not want. It is much easier to fix what's wrong with a nation rather than civil war, because that's really what we're talking about here. And so for me, I would much rather us wake up, which is happening, but at the same time, we cannot ignore what the possibilities are. And the number one thing I tell people is like, if you are able to, get away from the cities. That's the number one thing that's going to help anything in terms of like getting you to a place where like, you don't have to worry about conflict, at least violent conflict. You can avoid most violent conflict if you stay out of major cities, but think about what's at stake here. And we both know that since America is waking up, they need to do something big in order to get the commoners back in line. And I think it's going to look like a bunch of different, I think it can look like a bunch of different things. And I can, we can go into the, the war gaming side of it and talk about that if you want to. But to me, the end result is a major event or multiple major events to get people to basically cry out and be like, help us. And the bulk of people who are not going to essentially be able to like save themselves are going to turn to the government and the government's going to say, we will, but here are the stipulations. And, uh, and most people are going to do it. Just like most people, took the, just like most people took the shot. Most people wore the mask. Well, it's what they told me to do. I needed to do it because of X, Y, Z excuse. Yep. And it, it, I just, I just see that happening all over again. And I think, I think part of what we're getting into with all these different conflicts around the world is having us really thin of our qualified fighters and our qualified patriots to have to be dispatched across the globe and across the world. Well, things get ramped up here with, yep. like you said, the military age men who are red donning us right now, but just without a single shot being fired, without a single parachute being deployed. And, and you, you and I both know, like I look at, and, and I'm not, there's, there's a, there's a lot of strong young men out there, but when we look at the generation of young men coming up in their teens and their twenties right now, I don't feel secure in the fact 
of thinking that they're going to step up to the plate in order to defend us from attacks here. Definitely not quick enough. I don't think the gym gym bros are going to transition into combat warriors with a flip of a coin. No, and I can tell you that from personal experience because I, when I went through back, you know, back in 2009, you know, there was a lot of gym bros in there and a lot of them didn't make it through because, you know, muscle, like, like mass muscle is great if, if you want to look pretty and you want to wear tight shirts, but like in terms of functionality and being able to hop over a fence or like, you know, just conserving calories, I could tell you every time I went to a schoolhouse in the military or to go and do something for an extended period of time, I dropped weight. I got down to a weight level that was most efficient for me to be able to do my job as a reconnaissance man, as a sniper. And I was always one of those guys that like, I'd go off to a school like recon school or sniper school or whatever. I'd be there at like 185, 190. By the time I leave there, I'm 165 lean because you're just not lifting weights. You're doing mm-hmm. body weight. You're carrying rucks. You're running, you know, you're, you're, you're doing drills, whatever, but it's not, it's not weight. That's, that's really a, a, a important because it isn't, you know what I mean? Like it's good to look good. And to fill out shirts, it's great. And if you need to lift something heavy, it's 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 useful for that. But if we're talking arm combat, like there's a reason why these guys who, you know, these wrestlers and like MMA fighters, they don't look like bodybuilders. No, they they're like you said, they're lean and they're functionally strong and they're yeah. and they're ready. And that and I think you know, a lot of the people who are coming across, you're gonna see a lot, it's, it's just different. They're just tougher people too. You don't you don't go make that trip here and not be a tough person, in yep. my opinion. Regardless, regardless of how you feel about them, regardless of what they're leaving or what they're getting away for, those, those are hardened humans. Well, those are hardened people. We are products of our environment. And that's the thing. Like, America has gotten soft, bro. I mean, I look around, and, and even in, and I'm not, I hope anyone who's listening, I'm not trying to rag on anybody specifically, but it's just, it's an observation even within the emergency services realm, right? We're talking fire, police, ambulance. Our first responders, most of them, especially if they've been in that job for longer than 10 years, look like a bag of potatoes Yes. in uniform. And I could tell you, because most of my boys out of the infantry side of the house in the military went to law enforcement. I would say probably like 80% of them. And they're usually still in shape because they, they've been there. They've understand why they need to be. But like the other guys, you know, you got to understand, like most people don't understand that. Like, I think it's like only like 30% of law enforcement officers have actually had to draw their gun while, in the time they, they served in time they served as, as Leo's and like presented on somebody like that's, that's a, that just tells me there's not a lot of experience out there. You know what I mean? And, and, Okay, stay safe. Do what you got to do. If you work in a small town, God bless you, you know, do what you got to do. But like when I look around, I don't see many law enforcement officers that I trust to protect me. I'm the only one that's going to do that. And that and that's a good point you bring up. And I think uh, one of the things that I think is a prediction everybody's making right now for 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 2024 is some sort of like kinetic attack like we saw in Israel by these people who are coming in and that's been on the forefront of my mind. And who are the people who are going to have to respond to that? 
I mean, everyone wants to make believe it's going to be themselves, the citizen. They're going to run out there, the Minutemen ready, something like that. But no, it's going to be the first responders. And have you seen the first responders around your town? Because I almost I had a little interaction with a, a heavier set officer. And part of what went through my mind, I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I just kind of wanted to, I literally thought for a second, man, I should just run. There ain't no right. way he's going to catch me. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't even doing anything wrong. It had crossed my mind. Like, this, what is going on, you know? But that, that's going to be the guy who's rescuing, who's running to the defense of us. And it's scary. And that's why it comes back to you have to be ready to protect yourself. And, like, the, the funny part is, it's like there's this whole, like, you know, operator goon culture with a lot of these guys out there. And, like, a lot of that, you know, if it gets them out to the range and they're, they're becoming proficient, good on them, whatever. Like, you know, if that's what it takes to get some of these younger guys into into guns, then, you know, I'd rather have the, that. The, the, LARP, the LARPing aspect of it. I mean, dude, you know, like, here's the thing. It's all LARPing until it actually happens, right? Right. So, like, like I think it's funny when people say that, but it's like, like, that. what do you think, like, going to a dojo is? Like, what's, what, when you go and do MMA with your buddy, like, you get, you're not really fighting. You are, but it's not like you're fighting for your life, right? Exactly. I posted a video on my Instagram. You guys can go check that out, American Preppers Club. But I posted a video where there was a street fight with this much, much bigger guy and this smaller kid, and he was choking him out, and the guy was trying to tap in a street fight. Yeah. Exactly. That's, not gonna, that's not a thing. And and that's what, like, when it comes to martial arts and combatives in, in general, like, it, it, once again, it comes down to, like, awareness of your environment. Like, you can't, not, and, and just to preface this, I've been a martial artist for most of my life. I started when I was four years old. And, and so like, I have a pretty extensive martial arts experience in judo wrestling and a bunch of other stuff. And I tell people all the time, like, if you are only focused on the rules of your sport, when you get into a fight, you are going to get hurt because you're either going to get body slammed. You're going to start getting kicked in the face when you get on the ground, or someone else is going to come out of the crowd while you're rear naked choking some dude because you didn't realize he had buddies and he's going to kick you in the side of the head or stab you or shoot you or something of that nature and you're going to and you're going to be eating out of a straw for the rest of your life and, and that, that's and that's a good scenario you know what i mean like that's right. short of you know not not having you know your light lights put out permanently and that and that's so real actually uh, a big a big famous case uh brian stole or Stovall or something something like that, but a San Francisco Giants fan, you can go look it up. I did kind I of saw, knew. I remember when that happened with the Dodgers fan, right? Yes. And we we knew him. He was kind of in our circle, a little out of our circle, and he did a lot of events. And thank God that he he's he has not made a full recovery by any means, but his prognosis after a few like a decade plus has dramatically changed and he's able to do a lot more than anyone thought he would ever do and more than he was able to do for a long time. But that was one of those things, man, where you know, I don't know the whole story. I don't know the whole incidents. But, you know, when you really kind of feel yourself and you think things are going to go a certain way, surprise. Yeah. It's it's the same thing with, like, I don't I don't even, like, I don't dress like I did when I was in my 20s for a lot of reasons. But mainly because I was so in the Marine Corps mode in my 20s that I was wearing, you know, like the the, the skulls with the Viking beards and, and like, you know, the, the run with the, the Punisher. Wolf. Yeah, Punisher, run with the wolf pack on the back, like all that stuff. Like I, I was fully indoctrinated into military culture, so I had no shame. Now I dress like a dad. Like if 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 I'm walking through Kmart or Kmart, I don't think Kmart even exists, Walmart, or I'm getting stuff from Costco, whatever. Um, I, I just try to look like everybody else because 
I'm not trying to attract, like, I, I'm not trying to attract attention to myself anymore. Like, like this whole posturing up, it's done. And, and I'll tell you, I'll be honest, like this idea that I'm going to, that fair street fights exist anymore. Like y'all can just throw that out the window. Like if someone, and I'm with my family and someone comes up to me and, and starts trying to escalate something real quick, like I'm doing whatever I need to do. And it's going to happen very, very quickly because I'm not going to give that person a fighting chance in their life. And, that, and that's how it has to be, especially the older we get. I was kind of joking. When my, I got a very, uh, very 18-year-old, 19-year-old boy at home who hits the gym, works out, does all that stuff. And he's exactly where I was. And I was kind of mm -hmm. joking with him. I was like, man, I do not, one, have that energy or want to fight for that long ever. You're probably just going to get a shot real fast. And I'm going to go home and I'll have to deal with that psychologically later. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to deal. I'm not going to deal with uh, the repercussions of an event happening like that. Cause I had to, I don't know if you saw or if I told you about it, but I had an incident at work where I had to, to take on someone physically. And it'd been the first time I've had to do that in uh, quite a while. And man, I was sore for like three days afterwards. Oh, I, would, I don't doubt it, man. Like, was this like a customer or something coming in? Like, yeah, a belligerent customer who ended up getting, getting choked out. And as I choked him out, we fall back to the ground. You know, I know that it's just this person there. It wasn't like a, there was no, I definitely assessed the situation right. The guy was a little bit older. This was the, the path of least resistance for him, but mm -hmm. it, it put a lot of resistance on my body. Well, and, and that, and that's another thing, man, like, like, um, there's another group out there, uh, integrated skills group, Aaron and Gio and a few other guys out there. And they have something called a skills audit, but like part of that, you know, part of the, your, as a, as a man, and I will preface that because I believe men are the protectors of society, not ragging on women. There's plenty of badass women out there that can do it too, but we are the protectors of society. As a man, you need to understand what your capabilities are. Otherwise, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to the people who rely on you. And that was a big push for me going into 2024. I told my wife, I was like, I need to get back into my combatives. I need to have that competition and I need to have that physicality of like being being and having to fight with another another strong, large male individual that I know is going to present a challenge. Because right. if, if I don't if I if it's like anything else, if you don't keep that up, it it fades like any other skill set and you become soft and you become weak extremely perishable that's interesting i was talking to my wife about the same thing now we're talking about a lean fighting weight you know i'm a little heavier right now but part of why i'm a little bit heavier is i just and i told this to my wife she thinks i'm joking but i just generally feel a little bit safer it's <laughs> being a little bit heavier right now because i need something to end quick and if I, I know how to use my momentum i know how to use my body weight so if i got a little bit of an up on somebody that makes me feel a little bit safe but that's due to a lack of training if I was been training more, I've been in a little bit more combat situations. I'd probably be a little less worried about having being a little bit more of a weight advantage. If that makes any sense. Well, it, but it, does. That, it makes perfect sense. I've done the same thing, man. Like I've been, I'm only five foot eight, and I've been in the 200 pound club a couple times in my life. Um, and and you move people treat you, and you move people differently when you're when you're up there. Like for me, ideally fighting weight, I know myself is like 170. That's where strength and power ratio for me and being able to run around with stuff on i'm i'm solid but like if i need to move a guy who's 260 270 at 170 pounds it ain't happening like that dude is going to be moving me around regardless of how much i train unless i start breaking down 
like skeletal systems, like taking out knees, taking out wrists, taking out fingers. Like, unless I can start doing that very, very quickly, that dude's going to smother me, especially if he has any sort of real athletic background. Because, yeah. That, and, that's, and that's how I feel about it, too, because there's some big country boys out here. Oh, I'm so sure. If I'm, I'm, if, I'm walking, if I'm walking around below, like, 210, 220, I generally feel like, fuck, just, I'm not going to get respected one. I feel like they're going to mm-hmm. do whatever they want to be. And that's such a weird mindset to be in. But that, grow, that like you said, that goes, that's from real-world experience. Correct. Like knowing how this real world works. It, it, to some people, it seems like a weird mindset to be thinking about that. But to me, it's like, well, live that life. Yeah. And, and there's other ways to do that, too. That's what people like. Like presence is huge. Like I'm not like I said, I'm not a tall dude, but like I've had guys tell me like, you know, you have an intensity about you when when you're around you know people in a competitive environment like you mm-hmm. like you can tell that there's no nonsense and i go i mean that's something that's cultivated like anyone can get that that comes from the confidence of knowing what you're capable of in any given scenario like the I, confidence of knowing what you're capable of and, and having re- repeated it several times correct exactly and, and and it's just it's a compounding effect i've been in enough shitty situations um, in my life to know that like if a shitty situation pops off, I have a pretty good idea on how to get out of it one way or another. And, and I so, think so having an idea how to get out of it and what we're talking about right now is also something that I'm predicting for um, 2024 is we're going to see a lot more violent encounters from, yes. from we saw like the knockout games we've seen, I, I, I got in some, rabbit hole of these subway interactions in new york and just man you, you would think it was just a it was a, a gladiator school just trying to take the subway yeah it, it was a mind-blowing to me but to that aspect of knowing what you're going to get into like you said you know you somebody messes with you and your family like and men need to be protectors i've been really kind of harping on the idea for a while and really kind of mentally struggling with do i want to get involved in other people's problems do I want yes. to be a protector for random people when it can literally put my lights out and in my life? And it, it, I've been struggling with that so much lately because I don't want to watch a woman to get abused. I don't want to watch someone get mugged. I don't, I'm, I'm at the point where I could care less about somebody shoplifting, which is just a whole nother. Yeah, I don't, I don't care about because, that stuff at all. Because I used to run and go help if I saw it all the time. You'd be thanked and you were the hero. Now I'm just like, cool. I, I low key kind of want to shoplift myself since there's no consequences. <laughs> I mean, well, that's the problem is like when you take away the consequence, it's like, then why am I paying, you know, six dollars for six eggs? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like you're like, come on, guys. Like what's going on here? Um, And that lack of consequences is going to lead to the more violent stuff happening, the more property crime, the more the more theft, the more everything. So I think as we're not only training ourselves physically to be ready for these fights, but also mentally deciding way ahead of time what you're going to get involved in. Listen, like I'm taking my daughter down to, you know, and and I'm not I'm once again, I'm not a fan of Disney, but the Disney experience is an experience that like I think that kids really enjoy. So I'm taking my daughter down to Disney World. And we, me and the wife sat down a couple of days ago. We talked about various scenarios that could happen there that we should be on the lookout for. And what's our plan of action if that happens? And she was the one that actually, you know, I was going to have this conversation as we got closer to Disney World. But she wanted to talk about now and then talk about it again as we get closer as well. And it, I think people need to start doing that with just daily stuff. Like if someone pulls up behind you and gives you the little love tap into your bumper, like 
take a look behind you before you get out of that car. Because that's a very common tactic now in some of these major cities to get you out of the car so that you can exchange insurance information. And then you get rolled up on with a, with a guy with a gun. They hop in your car and they take off. And this happened to a lady with her, with her kids in the car. Yep. And, and that's, that's one thing with the car thing. A lot of the follow homes are happening right now too. Yes. Like, my, like we have a, a scat pack purple really nice right mm -hmm. but my wife drives and i had to warn her about that because there's been hellcats and scat packs getting followed home and people stealing them right there in the garage as you as you pull into your house you're already getting out of your car and they just come and take over and boom they drive off yeah i've been telling you you pay attention to who's watching you in these parking lots and get familiar with your neighborhoods or your cities and what cars are supposed to be there because if you don't recognize it you probably shouldn't pull in your driveway and, you and try to see how much they follow you it's just it comes down to that whole situational awareness thing. You can you can increase and and really shape situational awareness, but it takes understanding what that means and turning it on and having it on all the time, right? Um, the term out there, Cooper's color cut. I'm not going to go into it, but I recommend anyone listening kind of look at it and get an idea of what these levels of awareness are in terms of how this guy defined it, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Cooper. But basically, what it comes down to is. If you're, if you're not in a safe place like your home or your job, you're in what we commonly refer to as a transitional zone, right? And this goes back to, to executive protection principles and, and working with high-profile clientele. So anytime you're in an area where the general public has access to you in some capacity, you are then in a, a zone where you can be ambushed effectively. A car does not block bullets, so to think that a car is safe is a is a false presumption. What does that mean then? It means that you can't be on your phone, you can't be distracted. If if you know if you have the kids yelling at you, all this stuff, you need to handle that situation and get things calmed down so that your awareness can be around you, not just for someone trying to carjack you, but like you you know as well as I do, like drivers out here don't care. A lot of them are on substances, whether they're antidepressants painkillers or some of these other things we've talked about already. So like you have to be aware and notice patterns that are happening and whether those patterns fit the baseline of what you're used to. And like to give people an idea, like just a really simple breakdown. I talk about this in, in a couple of the courses I do up here in PA live. Um, but like what a baseline is, is, is what the state of the environment that you're used to that you know consistently, right? And when you have a disruption, a pattern disruption within that baseline, that's usually what we refer to as a pre-attack indicator if we're talking about ambushes or, or warfare or whatever, or it's an event that's about to occur that your, your situational awareness slash intuition is picking up on and saying, huh, that doesn't seem right. And that's all situational awareness really is. It isn't this magic thing that special operators get you know injected with once they complete a schoolhouse or whatever. It is trusting your instincts and your intuition based off experience and going, oh man, that little voice told me that doesn't seem right. I'm going to change lanes. I am not going to walk further down that hallway where that guy just peeked out from around the corner in this hotel room. I am not going to go out to my car. I'm going to go back in the store and have someone walk me out to my car because there's a van parked on my driver's side and there's obviously someone in it because I see the brake lights are on. 
that situational awareness, the baseline no longer matches what you're used to on a regular day or in a regular interaction. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I hope people pick up on that, um, what you're saying and, and dig into everything that we talked about, because we covered a lot today. We talked a little bit about our predictions, maybe not as much as I thought we would, but man, we dug into, <laughs> some, good, we dug into some good information. I think this is very useful from, from what's happening from a uh, operational standpoint, really from, nefarious actors and how the programming's working to practical ways for people to be prepared. And, and I don't know if there's anything else you want to touch on um, before we sign off here, but I'm really hoping to have you on multiple times this year um, as, as much as you're free to do. Cause I really, really think that the information you bring, you articulate it so well. And it's very clear that you give great classes and great information. Where can people follow you if they're not following you, if they're tuning in for the first time? Yeah. So, so on Instagram, I'm the emergency expert. I, I, I think I'm going to keep that name, but my business is called Get Prepared. It's at getpreparedllc.com where I talk about preparedness specifically and break it down into these real in, into digestible um, ways of understanding preparedness and, and these systems. And then, you know, you can follow me there. I'm going to have a YouTube channel up soon. I'm sure I'll share. But like, honestly, brother, like the big thing that if I could give anyone a piece of advice out there for this upcoming year is you need to have a plan and you need to prioritize the things that are going to help that plan be successful because people want to prioritize, but they don't have a plan. And so they don't know what the real priorities are or they have a plan, but then the plan is just kind of this thing that sits over here on their desk or, or is an idea that they haven't shared with their tribe or their, their family. And then the priorities don't come into it or it just kind of keeps get collecting dust on the table. And so prioritize and plan guys like that is the best things and, and go and get those skill sets that are going to serve you. If something happens in the near future, because I am very, very confident we are going to see some major, major events um, probably in the, the third slash fourth quarter of this year, as we get closer to election time, because I believe personally that's the only way that certain parties that be are going to stay at power is if they put us in such a position that we that the 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 public as a whole is screaming for help. And I, I'll I'll leave everyone with this Benjamin Franklin quote that I hope you already know. But if you don't, um, I, I want everyone to think on this: is those who give up secure or those who give up liberty for for security deserve neither and oftentimes lose both a hundred percent. And that's what, that's what we're tracking to, man. I appreciate you so much for coming on this podcast. Of course, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave the link to um, your contact info for Instagram and in the description on this podcast. Also a link for everybody uh, to sign up for the preppers club. I, I definitely got to talk to you some offline a little bit about the preppers club. I really would love to see you in there. Um, I really think it's going to be a great platform to do what you said is to get people to connect with like-minded people. Nice. Um, the Preppers Club brought me and Eric together um, and we're working on our homestead project and we're making sure that we're having a place for people to go to. And I think in the prepping community, there's a lot of people who talk about what you should do without creating the solution for that. And I see your work and you're definitely creating solutions and putting yourself out there and giving people real tangible things to do. Cause like you talked about, you're holding live events versus just hypothetical 
conversations that yes. need to be done. Yes. So instead of having a hypothetical com uh, community, we're having a real community. I, I often think about how powerful it would be if Canadian Prep or, or some of those guys who have the million person fan base actually provided a community for people to go to. And yeah. I don't, I don't want it to be cultish. I don't want it to be anything like that. But we all could have a landing training spot. You got some of the cool schools out there, like the Pathfinder School and stuff like that. That's yep. survival schools. But something a little more community preparedness based is something that we're working on. And I think, like you said, people got to actually network with these people and not be worried about being a weirdo. It was very awkward for me and Eric to meet up for the first time. It was very awkward for us to to move that ball forward and and get out of our comfort zone. But it's been awesome ever since so community get prepared guys check the information in the bio go follow the emergency preparedness or the emergency expert on instagram and we'll go from there thank you brother oh absolutely anytime man